0: Well, it is great to see everybody this morning, and there's a couple of people that have been away from us for a little bit while, and I see their their faces, and I don't want to embarrass you, Ching, but it is great. We know you had a, a, a great trip to China. We look forward to hearing all about that, so I want to uh, welcome you back. And then, where is Lisa at? There she is. Lisa Fong, everybody, is back. She's been on the East Coast for a little bit. She's back for uh, maybe six months or so, Um it's uh, great to see her back as well. And then, um, it's always great to see everybody that's here every week as well. Well, I shared at the start of the service, and there were a couple of people that were still trickling in, that this really was a special week of ministry. Very thankful to all that the Lord allowed uh, us as an elder team to accomplish this week as we had our elder retreat at the end of the week, and that was a, a capstone for me because I had the opportunity to go up to the Shepherds Conference and interact with a number of the brothers up there. And for those that aren't familiar with the Shepherds Conference, it's an annual pastor's conference that takes place the first week of March. And this one was unique. It was called the Summit, and the theme of the entire conference was on the inerrancy of Scripture. And they had over uh, 1,500 more uh, men there to attend the conference than they normally do, and it was an extra, extra day. And so it was a very... A full week, yet uh, an encouraging time as the doctrine of inerrancy was affirmed for us. That if you have a copy of your text and you have your Bible, that you can trust this as the word of God. And that we have an in, 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 inerrant God who has spoken in his inerrant word. And it allows us to know him. It allows us to grow in him. And it was a blessing just to hear the messages that came session after session after session affirming the truth and the, the the testimony of scripture. And again, I rejoice at being at a church where the word of God is held so high. Uh, last week, of course, it was great to have David Beakley here with us. And for those that uh, missed last Sunday, you can always go online and hear the message that uh, Pastor David preached to us. And as the announcements shared, the Next Sunday, we're going to have the state of the church and be able to talk about a number of additional ministry items. And I'll speak on behalf of the elders just as we had our retreat, that we're just so thankful and greatly encouraged by all the feedback that we received through the SWOT analysis. And look forward to sharing more about that next Sunday, which you won't want to miss. Well, if your eyes are... um, have uh, zoomed in on the bulletin, you know today's message is going to be on deacons, and I wanted to uh, begin our message by asking you to imagining doing something for a moment, okay? I want you to imagine for a moment that you're an elder in the church, okay? Think about that, hypothetically, And and ladies, you have permission to think as men in this regard. Um, But imagine being an elder in the church. And God has entrusted you with specific responsibilities. And you're pulled this way and you're pulled that way to do a multitude of different things. Yet you know that the most important responsibility that you have is to provide oversight to the flock. And to feed God's people and to shepherds God's people, protecting them from spiritual hazards and the dangers of living in a fallen world. And you're doing this all while doing your best to manage your own household well and serving as an example. You know the scriptures put the highest priority on teaching and preaching God's word. And you recall to mind the commands to be constantly nourished on the words of faith and sound doctrine and to take pains and be absorbed in the meditation, study, preaching, and teaching of God's word. You know this means that you cannot compromise these responsibilities by by allowing your life to be consumed with other matters. You are to give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. This you know from what the Scriptures share. Yet, your experience is actually quite different. There are people in the church with needs. There are people facing serious trials. Some facing financial hardships. Some dealing with marital difficulties or breakdowns in family relationships. Some also needing uh, care and needing to be visited in the hospital and there are many needs. Perhaps the church parking lot might need attention. Perhaps the church might need to buy a new copier. Maybe there are upgrades that need to be made in the sound system. Or here's one for for you. Maybe the fire sprinklers don't pass the test at the building location that you're staying in and there's a possibility that the city might come in and red tag your building and you would actually have to move and find a different location for worship. Perhaps the children's ministries area needs to be retrofitted so that it's earthquake compliant. The weekly offerings need to be counted. Utilities need to be managed. Someone needs to make sure that visitors are greeted, that they know where they're going, and that they have the correct information that they need. And all of this is just the beginning of the list. All of these needs, all of these things need attention, and either directly or indirectly minister to people. And as you sit at your desk as an elder, and as you devote yourself to prayer and to the study of God's word, all of these pressing needs tug at your heart. They cry out to you. Quit studying. Quit praying. Get out there and deal with these matters. And as one pastor shared, Satan, yes, Satan chimes in. Listen, your people, your sheep, those you are responsible for need your help. How can you sit there praying and studying, doing nothing when your people are in need? Leave your books, leave your pietistic rituals, and do some real good. Do some real ministry. Get your hands dirty. So you quit studying, and you go meet these urgent needs. And day after day, week after week, this happens. And soon, you begin to grow weak, and your study times are forced and desperate. Your prayer times are reduced to a few arrows being shot up to our Heavenly Father with very little zeal. You are ministering to many people as you address all the things on this growing list of needs. The church is being blessed, right? Or is it? Can you minimize your God-given priorities and be a blessing to your people in the long run? Does God intend for prayer and ministry of the word to fit into the cracks of your ministry instead of having the reserved large blocks of time that they require? Do physical needs take precedent over communion with God in prayer and saturation in the word? The answer to all of these questions is no. No. So what is an elder, pastor, overseer to do? He can't neglect all these important ministry opportunities. So, what's the solution? I want to encourage you that God had this in mind and has. An answer and a remedy to what we would say could be a major dilemma in the church. He provides his solution through the office and ministry of qualified deacons in the church. Let me just introduce the title of our message, which you already have in the bulletin. Deacons, their vital role within the church. And it's spiritually healthy for everyone in the church to have an understanding of how God intended deacons to function within the church. For many reasons, but allow me to share three. First and mo- foremost, service in the church is an expression of Christ's likeness. In Mark chapter 10, verses 43 through 45, Jesus shares a profound statement. He says this, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. It has been said that we are never more like Christ than when we forgive. But I think the same thing can be said of our service. We are never more like Christ than when we seek to serve the Father's will and to prioritize our service to other people. Christ loves the church, and he died for her. And a gospel-converted heart is fueled by Christ's passion to love and care for his bride. And deacons should remind us of Christ's sacrificial and loving work and his continuing ministry to us all. A second reason it's spiritually healthy for us to consider the vital role of deacons is that God may have called you, yes, you, I'm not thinking of the person next to you, by the way, uh, God may have called you to serve in this capacity. And so, just as elders are appointed by other elders, and the church does what? Affirms. The, the, the selection of elders, you may have been gifted and called to serve in the role of a deacon. And Lord willing, this message will help us to see that it's good and right for our church to recognize and affirm those who serve as deacons. Well, there's a third reason. And it's this, it's not about elevating the role of elders or the role of deacons but it's sharing this reality that every believer is called to serve and it's true that the Lord instills a special desire and giftedness within deacons to serve in his church as servant leaders and the Lord provides deacons to encourage the elders and church members but it's about all of us as we even consider this message, that we would look into the mirror of service, that we would consider the opportunities that the Lord has granted to us, right the opportunities that we've been given to serve. And I'll share more about this later, but it's appropriate for me to to say that um, the elders have taken notice, and I believe that many in our congregation have taken notice, the beauty of so many people in our church family that serve in more than one area of ministry. A great blessing. Well, the sermon proposition is in your notes, and it's this. God has given the church the office of deacon to remind us of Christ through their sacrificial service and love for the church. And to see this and to develop our understanding around this proposition, we're going to answer some key questions that serve as the outline in your notes today. What do the scriptures tell us about deacons? What are the differences between elders and deacons? Can women serve as deacons or is it limited to men only? What duties of service do deacons fulfill? Are deacons to focus only on ministries of mercy? By answering key questions such as these, it's going to help us to understand the essential role of deacons as they put Christ on display through their faithful service. Let's get started with the first question in our outline, and it's this. What do the scriptures tell us about deacons? God gives deacons, like elders, qualifications that they must meet in order uh, to serve. And there are only two New Testament passages, believe it or not, that specifically address the office of deacons the first is found in the pastoral epistle of 1 Timothy and i invite you to turn there with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3 the pastoral epistles of course are 1st and 2nd Timothy Titus and they provide specific instruction for church leaders within the church and in 1 Timothy 3 verses 8 through 13 the holy spirit led paul to record the qualifications For deacons, please follow along as I read them. Paul records this starting in verse 8 of chapter 3. Deacons must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Now, let me stop you there for a moment. At this point, Paul's going to shift gears on us a little bit. And he addresses women who serve as deacons. If you have the ESV, it says wives, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But he's addressing women, or a term that many use is deaconess. But in the New Testament Greek, there was no designation, there was no term in the Greek to say deaconess. There was only the the male uh, version of the term. Okay? So, here he says this, starting in verse 11. Women, deaconesses, it's it's gune in the the Greek, it's it's women, (laughs) must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Then Paul switches back to male deacons, starting in verse 12, and says, deacons must be husbands of only one wife, and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, I said it before, it's worth repeating, this is the, how many passages are there in the New Testament that speak to the qualifications of deacons? Numero uno this is only one right here that we we've just looked at but there is another new testament passage that does mention the office and it's in one verse and it's philippians 1:1 1, 1, and it's where paul writes uh, he opens up his letter this way paul and timothy bond servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in philippi including the overseers and deacons. And so we are limited on the number of passages that speak directly to the office. But here's what we can clearly take away from the text. It's clear from Philippians 1:1 that the early church was familiar with two offices, the office of elder and the office of deacon. And Paul mentions them in this matter-of-fact way, which tells us that it was most likely a common practice well-established in the churches at the time that Paul wrote Philippians, which they say is right around AD 61. Though Philippians 1-1 and 1 Timothy 3, 8-13 through 13 are the only two texts that mention the specific office of deacon, there are other passages that use a cognate. They use a, a, a different form of, of the word Diakonos, that that, um, help us gain an understanding of deacons. And I'm going to share more about that at a later point. Well, there's also a third text that many commentators believe addresses deacons, either directly or indirectly. But it's not conclusive because the official office of deacon is not mentioned. It's found in Acts uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. And this is probably Acts... When was the church launched? What's that historical event we call it? It starts with a P? Pentecost, that's right. In Acts chapter 2. And so here we are in Acts chapter 6. And it may have been that because the, the church had just been, been launched, this is a transition in dispensations. This is a transition from the Old Covenant to the New and the beginning of the church age. And so it could be that it was so early... That the office of deacon had not yet been established yet. Even if Acts six doesn't directly address the office, it teaches us some important principles principles about their vital role and helps us understand why deacons are needed and a necessary part of the church. Before we look at the text, I want to give you some historical context. I already just mentioned Pentecost, which was one of the pilgrim feasts where all the Israelites would have made the journey back. To Jerusalem to celebrate. They would have come from all over the Mediterranean to celebrate the Feast of Harvest, which happened 50 days after the Passover. And it was on the day of Pentecost that you'll recall that Peter preached that amazing sermon, and the Spirit of God fell on the people, and there were people who came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thousands came to repentance. The incredible workings and excitement in the early church did this. You know what it did? It made people want to stay longer than they had anticipated. They just thought it was going to be a normal time of, um, of going to, uh, to, to the Feast of the Harvest. They were showing up, and guess what? Then all of a sudden, something happened. Big time, Right? Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, the helper came, and the launch of the church age became, uh, came into effect. And so people now wanted to stay longer than anticipated, and they wanted to learn more about Jesus Christ directly from the apostles. And so these people had come, and like every family that goes on vacation, you know the deal, right? you got to pack some stuff with you. you got to take some, you know, food, supplies, money. But are you going to take everything with you? No. You're going to take what you need. And this was the case for those that made the journey. And so they quickly began to run out of supplies. And yet many wanted to hang around and wanted to, to learn from the apostles. And they simply didn't have the means to say. But they had no idea that they were going to be introduced to the gospel and to the Savior, and the church needed to take care of them. We don't know exactly how long it was from Pentecost till we get to this point in Acts 6, but we knew, we know that it's not terribly long. There's some, there's some proximity there, okay? But there was an abundance of physical needs among those who believed. And so this is our context that we're looking at in verse 6. Follow along as I read uh, the first couple verses. Acts six one begins... Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. All right, stop right here for a moment. Here we encounter one of the very first problems in the church ever experienced, right? You had uh, traditional um, Hebrew origin um, Uh, Jews who, who were there to celebrate. And then you also had proselytes. You had people who, who basically converted, right? Who, and the Greeks who were referred to as Hellenistic. And so they're saying the Hellenistic, the Greek widows were being overlooked in the serving of food. Verse two continues. So the 12, and that's apostles at this point, because they had Seen the risen Savior, they had been appointed, so they're the, apostolos now, They're the sent ones, with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Now the apostles' response to this situation is that it's very urgent. There are a lot of people, you can imagine that they were there. There are a lot of people who had questions The man that they talk about, the rabbi, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was the Messiah, he was the appointed one, and they're trying to go to the Old Testament scriptures, they're trying to say, you know, to the Messianic Psalms, they're trying to break it down for them, they're trying to teach them. And yet, at the same time, there was this situation that was taking place. The apostles functioned as the first elders of the church. And so they share this this statement, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. This is a huge statement. And we have a complete New Testament. And we know the Bible puts a very high priority on helping the needy and ministering to widows and the, the poor of the church. James 1.27 actually says that pure and undefiled religion is to visit orphans and widows in their distress. Right, So the church needs to take care of them. They need to respond. They can't neglect them. What's interesting in the early church is that the Jewish widows who, who came to faith in Jesus Christ were seen as heretics. They were seen as denying the faith, traitors. They were, they were made social outcasts. And so these widows didn't have the, they couldn't go down and collect unemployment. I'm out of, you know, out of a job. They couldn't go get in a governmental line and say, okay, let's. how about some food stamps here, please? Then there was no uh, welfare system, and they had been put out of their families in some instances. There was a high um, cost to coming and following Christ. Yet as high a priority as it was to make sure that these widows were taken care of, it was not as high a priority as the ministry of the word. It was not a need that was to be so great that those who were gifted and called to preach and teach the Word of God should neglect the ministry of the Word to serve the tables. Preaching and teaching the Word is the highest and most important function within the church. And all other ministries flow from a correct understanding of the Word of God. Everything that we do at Cornerstone and everything that every Bible-based church does does should be filtered through the scriptures. And you'll notice our banner that's right here that reflects our philosophy of ministry, that we preach and teach the word with precision, and that this is a pillar that upholds the ministries of our church, and that things are going to flow out of the reality of us putting an emphasis on preaching and teaching the word. In Acts 6, the apostles... We're saying it's not right or good that those called to gift, I mean gifted to preach and teach, should stop their ministry in order to take care of these things. And the term "serve tables" means one of two ta- one of two things. It's either talking about money tables, or it's talking about uh, food tables, uh, where where food would have been uh, bought and and prepared. In some New Testament texts, tables uh, refers to Money changers, and you'll recall that when Jesus went into the temple, he overturned the 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 money the money tables. It was this, you know, portable banking system, and uh, it was a kind of um, really an early portable banking system. And this is what tables may refer to in this context in a healthy church. And this was true from the earliest of days in the church that people who were born again all of a sudden had, their hearts were changed with generosity and they wanted to give to the church. And so all of a sudden people were bringing money, people were bringing property, people were bringing goods to share. And then when they notice that there's all these other people around who are there, who have just been born again, right? They, they, they've they had a revelation, they've come face to face and, and they have the indwelling Holy Spirit. They, they see that they have a need and so they're graciously... Giving uh, d- d- to the church, um, we get to see a great picture of this, and if you 'll turn back with me just a just a couple of chapters to chapter two verses forty four and forty five say this and these verses I want you to see them because they there's such an encouragement to to the soul acts two forty four and forty five says and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have a need. All right, now I want you to turn two chapters back to or forward to chapter uh, four, verse 32. And we see another wonderful expression of this. It says this in Acts 4.32, and the congregation of those who had believed were of one heart and soul, And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. Here we see the generosity of the church already on display. But I have a question for you. Who was to handle all of those resources that were coming in? Lots. It says they shared everything, right? All of these things were coming in. Who was to handle it? If tables refers to money tables, it was pulling the apostles away from preaching and teaching. And money needed to be handled by faithful stewards, yet, handling finances should never replace or usurp the higher priority of the ministry of the word. Now, I mentioned earlier, it could also be that these serving tables were like food tables where people could actually sit down and, and physically come get something to eat. They were hungry, right? So somebody with the money that came in, they had, to, they had to buy food, they had to prepare it, had to be cooked, and then it would be served out to the people who were hungry. Yet, serving food should not take precedent over ministering the word to God's people. Whatever the case may be, Luke, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, records that the apostles said this in Acts 6. It is not good. It is not good. And the apostles were not saying that it's not good for us to help or that um, it's it, it's not uh, 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 appropriate for us to serve tables. It wasn't self-elevation, nor were they saying that these These tasks were basically beneath them, okay? That's not what they were saying. They were saying it was not good that those who were given the high priority of the ministry, of the word to these people, were being drawn away in order to serve tables. If you were having open heart surgery, would you... How would you like it if your surgeon put the scalpel down and he kept going out to answer the phone at the reception desk? I mean, you just think about that. You, you might say, you know what? I don't know how good that would, would be. Getting your heart fixed and sewn back together is pretty important. And it's a greater priority than answering the phone. So maybe it might be good for the guy who's gifted to actually go ahead and complete that task and leave that other task. Now, it doesn't mean that he's, the doctors, and you know, we've got some medical doctors in here, and I want to make sure I talk directly to you. It doesn't mean that you're better than the receptionist, right? It doesn't mean, or, or, or nor does it demean the task of answering the phone. I think every person in here would, would say that receiving 911 phone calls and, and people coming in for emergencies pretty high on the radar. It's pretty important. The point that the Lord would have us see is that the ministry of the word in all its aspects, the study, the meditation, the teaching and preaching and discipleship are the greatest and most important ministry to the church. Without a constant diet of God's word, the church dies a slow and painful death. If the word isn't proclaimed, people don't come to salvation. If the word isn't taught, people don't grow in their sanctification. The church, the church doesn't know how to do ministry. We don't know how to worship in spirit and in truth. Holiness decreases, and soon the church starts by buying into all sorts of gimmicks. I'm so thankful that Cornerstone doesn't focus on having a drama team as, as a part of our weekly worship. I am. I am. I mean that, that we, we focus on on the, the proclamation of God's word. And we celebrate it as it's preached. And the scriptures and sound teaching are the lifeblood of the church. And if you restrict the lifeblood of something, what happens? The tourniquet, if you leave that on, right? It, it, it'll, it'll get weak. You can eventually suffer, suffer serious health consequences as a result. The apostles recognized that they had to do something to to keep the word of God flowing into the veins of the early church. Yet, they also understood that they couldn't neglect the important ministry of meeting people's physical needs. So this is where the Holy Spirit Uh, 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 led Luke to record this for us and offer a solution in verses 3 and 4. It says this, Therefore, the apostles were saying, Brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the Word. Notice, that the ministry of serving to the needy and to the poor was a a great priority. And these men that were selected, they weren't, as the text just revealed, they just weren't merely warm bodies. But they were what? They were full of the Spirit. These were godly men. They were full of wisdom. Peter finishes with verses 5 and 6. I said Peter. Yeah. I don't know. It's the apostles. It says uh, talking. The, the statement found approval with the whole congregation. Verse 5. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor, uh, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying they laid their hands on them. These seven men were given The responsibility. And they serve as. And and they may have served. As the first deacons. Notice what I said. They may have served. As the, the first. And I say may have been. Because again the text doesn't refer. To the office of deacon here. So we can't go beyond. What the text is saying. What would help is. If we saw these men mentioned again in the scriptures and and referred to directly as deacons, as we, we see examples of in scripture, or we saw them doing other deacon type work. But the reality is that only two of the seven are seen again in the scriptures, Stephen and Philip. What's interesting is that later on in the book of Acts, it reveals that Philip and Stephen were preachers, evangelists, and workers of miracles in the early church. And time's not going to permit for us to chase that rabbit. But you can see this in Acts chapter 8 with, with Philip. Stephen's ministry was even shorter. He became the first martyr, stoned to death. And uh, we get a, a record of him preaching a message to the Jews that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And after he preached an incredible sermon, the, the Jews called for him to repent. And he, he didn't repent for preaching the truth. He was tried on the spot and he was stoned to death. And I'm sharing all this to make a couple points. First, we can't be dogmatic about the fact that, and and there's references, and people will be dogmatic about, these were the first deacons. Again, if if we do that, we're going beyond what the, the text says. The passage provides insight, and we can even say lays a foundation as to why the future role of deacons would be important, but we cannot say definitively That these were the first deacons. Secondly, the qualifications of a deacon do not include being able to teach. Even though we saw Philip and Stephen, who were evangelists and preachers who were gifted to teach, being able to teach would not exclude someone from being a deacon. But at the same time, it's also not required. This is the primary distinction between an elder and a deacon and one of the answers to the second question in your outline, which we're going to transition to now. What are the differences between elders and deacons? As we've already noted, the New Testament doesn't provide much information concerning the role of deacons. But we do know this, that Paul lists the qualifications of the deacon right after the qualifications of an elder. And we believe and teach at Cornerstone that it is an office within the church that is actual and it's specific to a function the office of elder is often ignored in the modern church while the office of deacon is misunderstood and this is why you see this when you look at the landscape of evangelical churches bible-based churches you see churches with a deacon board and no elders and then you go to another church and you see a, a, a church with an elder board but no deacons When the lines are blurred, exegetically, confusion about church ecclesiology will exist. And based on the New Testament, the role of the deacon is mainly to be a servant. The church needs deacons to provide logistical and material support so that the elders can focus on their shepherding and teaching responsibilities. The office of elder, we... We get the qualifications in First Timothy 3 and Titus 1, but then there are a host of other scriptures that use synonymous terms that when we talked about elders and went through Titus, uh, poimane, which is a shepherd, presbuteros, which is an elder, um, episkopos, which is bishop, overseer. They have th- this function, and we see that, that throughout the New Testament and the description of what elders are supposed to do. The office of deacon is only described in 1 Timothy 3, 8-13. through 13. And since Paul uses the word likewise in verse 8, he's comparing the office of elder to the office of deacon. There are, however, two notable differences that we see in the scriptures. Are these listed in your outline? Okay, good. Um, other than these two notable uh, differences, this, the, the, the spiritual and practical qualifications of elders elders and deacons are identical the first difference in qualifications between the office of elder and deacon is that we, we've already referenced this in verse two of chapter three first timothy three elders have to be able to teach okay? able to teach deacons have no such requirement the second notable difference between elders and deacons answers another question that we asked earlier can women serve as deacons or is it limited to men only? A close exegetical study of First Timothy three helps us to see that women are permitted to serve as New Testament deacons, and we have a recorded example of Phoebe when Paul wrote his letter to the Romans, recorded for us in in sixteen chapter sixteen verses one and two. And you, I'll read it for you. You don't have to turn there, but this is what it says. This is so encouraging. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant, a diakonos, of the church which is at Centria, and that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may need of you. For she herself has been a helper of many, and of myself as well. Paul, he doesn't go into the details, he doesn't let us know what Phoebe did but she was a diakonos. She was a helper of all in the church. She was specifically a helper to him. The Lord Jesus Christ serves as the ultimate expression of an elder, right? He's the great shepherd. He's the great overseer. But I would also say that the Lord Jesus Christ Serves as the ultimate expression and embodiment of a deacon. Who was it that physically prepared food so that it could be served to all the people that came that were hungry? Who was it that had a heart filled with compassion and mercy when they saw somebody who was lame lame, crippled or when somebody came and told them that their son or their daughter was sick? That they had a physical need. Who was it that responded to those physical needs? Now granted, the primary purpose of those miracles was to point to The deity of Christ, but certainly they also direct us to the Savior's heart of mercy and compassion and servanthood that embodies a deacon. Well, as our sermon proposition states, God has given us the church office of deacon to remind us of Christ through their sacrificial service and love for the church. And we're answering key questions about deacons that help us understand this. So far, We've answered two of the questions. What do the scriptures tell us about deacons? Number two, what are the differences between elders and deacons, which we just answered. And the third key question to answer is, what duties do deacons fulfill? Well, we've looked at Acts 6, and we've seen what the seven prototypes did. But again, we can't go beyond the text, and we can't define a deacon's role through this example alone. And it's clear that in 1 Timothy 3, 8-13 that both Paul and Timothy knew what deacons were but it only provides qualifications, doesn't provide descriptions. And so I want to share with you that there appears to be a glaring omission in the scripture. But I want to talk about that. The text, nowhere in scripture does the text tell us that this is what deacons This is the ministry that deacons are supposed to serve in this ministry or that ministry, or this is how they're to serve this way and that way. And you want to know what? It's God's wisdom. It's God's wisdom seen throughout the church age that the church has looked differently, right? Uh, Even if we consider our local church and we were to take the the next uh, closest church, the Bible Church of Buena Park, for example, that we have a relationship with, the ministry of their church looks different than the ministry of our church, right? So, God understood this, and and with with great wisdom, he he just he allowed it to happen. He he, he kept it open so that people would have uh, be able to serve in the the needs that they're. their their church would have. But this does leave us with some question marks. If we're really honest, it leaves us with some question marks. Why appoint qualified deacons if you don't know where or how they're supposed to serve? If the church nominated you as a deacon and the, the elders affirmed the selection and asked you to serve as a deacon this year, what would you be committing to? How can you say yes or no to a ministry that isn't defined? If the major texts which address the office of deacons don't say what they're supposed to do, how can we find out? The answer to these questions lies in the title or the name deacon. And if we can find out what the the word deacon means and consider how its close relatives are used in the New Testament, we can gain a greater understanding of what a deacon is to do. The word deacon means one who serves or ministers. And it's similar, but it's not to be confused with the other New Testament term that's translated servant, which is doulos, which is slave. According to Vine's expository dictionary on biblical words, the term doulos is describing the relationship between a servant or slave and their master. The word diakonos is is actually describing the relationship between the servant or the slave and their ministry. Pretty insightful. Very telling for us. The noun form of the, the word is used in many ways in the New Testament. And here are just a couple examples real quick. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 26, whoever wishes to become great among you, let him become your diakonos, servant. Jesus called those who served the king in the parable of the wedding feast, diakonas. And as you look through the many texts of the New Testament, you begin to see that this word is being used to describe really the people who owned a ministry on, on, be, on behalf to serve someone or something else. What are some duties that deacons might be responsible for Today, they could be responsible for anything that's not necessarily related to teaching in the church. Such duties could involve benevolence, similar to the work that took place in Acts, an aspect of the work that took place with the prototype deacons and in Acts 6. That if there were people in the church that had a, a financial need or that there was a phys- physical need, that in an act of kindness and in representing the testimony of the church, then they could provide that for them. And we even have a a benevolence fund here at our church for that very reason That's that's been used. It wouldn't just be a matter of just giving food or giving money, but again, these people are full of wisdom, right? Full of the Spirit. And oftentimes when people come in those dire circumstances, what do they need? They need somebody to come alongside them and point them to the Lord and to encourage their spirit and, and, and let them know that they can trust the Lord in the midst of their, their difficult circumstances. There's an aspect of mercy and compassion that is seen in their benevolence. And those who have served as deacons in the recent years at CBC have served the Lord with honor in this regard. And there's been a strong emphasis on mercy ministry, which we get to celebrate as a church family. I rejoice in that and I know that you do too. Some of you are more uh, recent to our church and, and when I say more recent in the, in the last year and so it's possible that you may not even know about the deacon ministry or what it is that they do and it's 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 remarkable to see how the Lord has used them to, to um, share mercy. And, you know, I do want to just honor... Um, our Our deacons, if I can, this isn't meant to embarrass anyone, but we do have so many new people here. I think it would it would be worthwhile just to even share the names of our ministers of mercy if um I could just read off their their names uh here they are Ed Gonzalez, Peter Ahn, Gina Lim, Julia Chan, Brian, and Jennifer Kang, and Brian has graciously uh, been leading uh the the deacons for the last few years in fact it was the previous leadership of the church the previous elders that established the the ministers of mercy and i think they were initially supposed to sign up for they they did a two-year term well here we are four years later okay and can somebody uh, i'm looking around i'm trying to find them Okay, let's stand up. All right, I want our deacons stand up. Just stand up. So, okay, is that Ed or, or Brian's up there? Okay, all right, Brian's led the deacons. Okay, and he's hating me right now for embarrassing. Can somebody Skype Gina and Julia and ask them to stand up just real quick? Well, we'll acknowledge them, Brian. Not to not to embarrass, but um, it's actually good that we know um, who's been leading the charge, and we we again re- rejoice that that God has used you in such. Great measure. You guys have been exemplary in your commitment. <clears throat> there are also other areas of service that don't necessarily involve mercy. And as I shared moments ago when we were talking about what a deacon was, it emphasizes the relationship between a servant and their worker ministry. Deacons often have an expanded role of service and are gifted to take on additional aspects of service in a particular ministry and they're exemplary in their commitment as well. They often coordinate our church members to serve and to make sure that many of the needs in a ministry are accounted for. And this includes children's ministries, worship ministry, women's ministries, and so on. Here are some other areas of service that don't necessarily involve mercy. Facilities. Deacons could be responsible for managing the church property. And this would include making sure that the, the, the church is ready for worship on Sundays, that everything's set up where it needs to be. Um, it can also involve cleaning up and organizing and replenishing the church with ministry supplies, making sure equipment is maintained and broken items are repaired or replaced. I mean, there's a ton of stuff, right? Heating, ventilation, air conditioning, audio, visual, lighting. All these things are important to take place, and deacons can really put Christ on display through their sacrifice in taking care of the church. And it also, again, blesses the elders to focus on their responsibility. Another area is finances. While the elders are responsible for major financial decisions, deacons can bless the elders in the church by handling day-to-day matters. And this would include collecting and counting the offering, keeping financial records, Paying for utilities as well as services rendered to the church. This is nonstop, right? Gotta, you know, they want their money. The gas company wants their money. Edison wants it. They want their money, all right, for the, the electricity, and it's got to be paid. And deacons can serve in, in great measure. On a personal note, I'm, I'm just so blessed by. Uh, those that serve me so faithfully on the finance team. I am not an easy guy to track. You know, with the with church credit card, you have to, uh, not that I'm out of control with that, okay? <laughs> Confessions of a pastor. But uh, you know, we, we have to keep a log of, of of those receipts. And our finance team has been so patient, so gracious with me, and blessed me so much. Because they'll take the receipt and they'll figure out where it needs to go. And, and if I had to, if I had to focus on that, where would it draw my attention away from? Where would I I wouldn't be preparing for Sundays. I wouldn't be preparing for teaching and, and they blessed me so much and um, you guys know who's on the finance team so I don't have to mention anyone by name. <coughs> Jin. So, <laughs> sorry, that slipped out. Sorry, a little something in my chest. I think uh, there's some other ways that we see uh, support administrative items and logistics. Deacons can coordinate service efforts that involve the entire church. For example, I don't know Maybe if your church has to move all its contents from one location to another location, if that ever would have to happen, that's hypothetical, okay If you would ever have to move locations, there are people who who um, respond uh, to, for big situations like that, all the way down to the weekly service items like preparing, printing, and distributing the bulletins, seating the congregation, preparing the elements, arranging and coordinating meals uh, and food for, for the church are just a few examples. And I think we can all see that there are a number of ways that deacons serve and that their role is vital to the church. Some of their service opportunities involve mercy, while some clearly do not. And our elder team wants you to know that we are unified when it comes to our position on deacons as it relates to their office and role at Cornerstone. And during our elder retreat last week, we actually had the opportunity to talk about the deacon ministry. And we believe that we need to continue to support the mercy ministries that we're currently engaged in. And that we need to expand the deacon ministry so that deacons are recognized in the other ministries of our church. And we we're, were so greatly blessed to, to go through the SWOT analysis. One of the strengths that was listed by a number of people was how many people serve in multiple ministries within our church. I'm like Pastor Kurt. I've never seen anything like it. I've never, I've never seen anything like it. That there's a church with one staff member, the senior pastor, with no administrative staff, no paid receptionist, no other staff, and yet all the ministries are accounted for. Every single one of them. Every single one, pebbles, boulders, roots, wow, worship, admin, prayer—we just go right on down the line, and it's it's such a, a great testimony, and we should we should all rejoice together. I know that our elders do. We rejoice at the deacons that that God has provide has provided for. Our church and I want you to know it. I, I hope that you know it, and I probably don't say it as often as I should, but I rejoice in you. I truly rejoice in you. Well, we're going to be sharing more about our deacon ministry at the State of the Church next Sunday as we anticipate this happening in the in the future, recognizing deacons in the other ministries very, very soon. And if you should have any questions about the deacon ministry, you have an open invitation to come to myself, to Huey, to uh, Francis or Hyun to talk more about it. We'd be glad to answer any questions that you might have. Well, I hope that today's message has helped you to see that God has given the church office of deacon to remind us of Christ through sacrificial service and love for the church and that they really do serve a vital role And we saw this as we surveyed the scriptures. It helped us to see uh, what what exactly they teach about them. Well, to close our time, I want to share this testimony about a deacon. When Dr. John Watson was a child, he loved to see the procession of deacons at the administration of the Lord's Supper. And one old man with very white hair and a meek, reverent face especially interested him. One day he was walking on the road and passed a man breaking stones. The white hair caught his attention. And he looked back and recognized the deacon who served at the church. Full of curiosity and surprise, he told his father the strange tale. His father explained to him that the reason why the old man held so high a place of service in the church was that although he was one of the poorest men in town, he was one of the holiest. James, he said, breaks stones for a living, but he knows more about God than any person I have ever met. I praise God for both the gifts and the service of those who serve as deacons in the church. And remember this. We are never more like Christ than when we serve the Father's will and we focus our attention on the service of others. Pray with me.